This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome everyone to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow and today I have two very, very special guests, or at least one really special guest. The other one's okay. Today we're going to talk about dating. And the reason I want to talk about that is because we've kind of built up this entire group of episodes that kind of focus on relationships, marriage, divorce, suicide, and really dating is just the next step. So today I get to welcome Margaret Light and Tracy Caprioto. Hi. Because our other guest couldn't make it. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Tracy has some awesome dating stories, or not even the dating themselves, but... Horror stories. Horror stories, really. And I think Margaret has a few, as well as being a professional in the relationships. Before we get rolling too far, though, let me just quick thank our sponsor, Napa Auto Tech Training. Napa Auto Tech offers three-hour virtual training classes that can be accessed from the comfort of your home. To find out what courses are available, go to NapaAutoTech.com and click on the Napa Auto Tech class calendar link. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm here just to hang out with Margaret. So She's defended herself against me easily three times. Yeah. I've loved your episodes that you've done with him, Margaret. It's been really great to kind of get to know you a little bit through the podcast. And now I'm finally get to meet you virtually. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's a good version of me to get to know. The personal version might be messier. So this is a good place to start. So I think the obvious question first is, why don't we just go back to 100% arranged marriages and be done with it? I mean, some people still do that. So you could. That's an option. But those were a business transaction. And? (laughs) And those were about survival, right? Like, that's what you had to do to survive. The way things are going, we might have to. The statistics coming out are not promising. It's really not promising when we have a very, very large percentage of men who at least identify as not dating and even maybe more worrisome, not looking for a relationship, not looking to, uh, I guess, fall in love or commit to a long-term relationship. And the opposite end of that spectrum with uh, women is more like 30%. And then we throw in this wild card online dating that I think at first, like social media seemed like a really good thing, is now backfiring badly, very, very badly. I mean, honestly, then it's just, I think there's a lot to talk about, about just the actual dating game itself. I think it's a very reasonable thing to talk about because I don't think it gets talked about enough on a more serious note. And that's why I'm here, because I like to talk very seriously about very serious subjects. I think that's true. Dating is complicated and it's tough. I think it's tough for men and women and kind of everybody in general, but in different ways. And there's maybe a question there about what are folks' expectations when they go into dating or online dating? What I see on TV and the internet. Well, I hate to break it to everyone, but real life doesn't necessarily work like that. Super disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) and welcome to adult life everyone like it doesn't go like that I think there's a conversation there around expectations right when we're looking at dating when we're going into dating I have these conversations with folks all the time around how do we do dating intentionally and what is the goal with dating 
Are you dating to fall in love? Are you trying to find a long-term partner? Are you just having fun? Whatever that means. And that could mean two different things to two different people, right? So are we even being clear about what we're looking for and why? And when I was even thinking about this episode, I was thinking about like all the things we talked about in the marriage episode around communication and clear communication with a partner are all the skills people need even when they're looking at dating or getting to know someone, right? I mean, I can't count the number of times I've heard a story regarding a bad date or a bad online dating experience where I'm like, yeah, you know, if we had a few more relationship skills, we could have just avoided that entire experience altogether. I think online dating is such an animal on its own because it's very visual. It's all about the pictures, your stats, your height, what you're looking for. And then also you're starting a relationship or, you know, the first couple messages through texting through the app and then eventually maybe texting on the phone. I think that's really hard to start any sort of relationship. You have no loyalty to that person. They might be a stranger. Before it was you were meeting people through a friend or through maybe work. But with online dating, you have no idea who this person is. Are you being catfished is one concern. You're starting this without having to have any sort of accountability. Pop in, ghost, pop out. The communication part is so tricky because it's based on each person's perspective on what they're looking for. And are they really going to be honest for what they are looking for? I think you said a key word, at least strikes me as very, very important, is the expectations that Margaret mentioned. And then you said the stats, the quote unquote stats, how tall are they? You know, and I don't know if they get into like income or stuff like that. I I never really got into the online dating game. Somehow I accidentally skipped it, but that's a different story. That's because you're so suave in person. You don't need online dating. I just have a knack for finding people with very, very low self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> that's my secret, guys. I'll have a follow-up episode on what to look for. Just kidding. Pure dumb luck. And I already did that episode. And that's what it really is. Those expectations, I think it's so skewed and everyone's idea of what average is, is wildly wrong. And everybody's probably, you know, once I say everybody that I'm wrong, but a large percentage of people have are really misled about what normal is. You know, what is an average height male in the United States? And a lot of women would respond six feet, six foot one. And I'm not talking about 30% or 40% of them. It's a high percentage of women respond six foot, six foot one, with the ideal being six foot three. Now, if six foot three is the ideal, congratulations, all you guys out there that are six foot three. But now you're all of a sudden in like the five percentile. Think about that. So if you're flipping through that stuff and that in your head is kind of the ideal and the average is six foot, five, nine, next, five, eight, next. Don't look at anything else. I mean, I suppose their face and all that, but the same with the incomes. And not to go too wildly off-road and back and forth here, but early on, Margaret had mentioned women who are have degrees do not typically date or marry men who do not. No, that isn't what I mentioned. What I said was that women with college degrees are more likely to divorce their spouses than women who do not have college degrees. You got me. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that statistic I brought up, though, is right. You didn't say it. And I was trying to give you credit for it. It's an article from The Hill. It was an op-ed 
around online dating and why it's going poorly for men. And I think that's part of it. Like there is truth to that. Online dating has also created this sort of commodification of people. Literally, people have become commodities. And so it's like, well, yeah, it's not my word. It's a word I heard. And I was like, ooh, that's true. But you start to treat people like items or commodities or property, right? And so it becomes really easy to filter in, filter out based on these criteria. And this is the part where I think relationship skills are really important because, okay, is height really the most important thing to you if what you're looking for is a long-term partner? I mean, there needs to be some type of physical attractiveness, but also like, let's be really honest about chemistry. There's actually a million different kinds of chemistry in the world and you aren't going to necessarily get chemistry from a photo. And so I think that's about both men and women. If we think that we're screening people, we need to be really thoughtful about what we're screening people based on. It can be easy to screen someone out based on something that doesn't really matter, but then are we not screening out people we should? So even kind of those expectations and communication skills, I hear all the time about people who are like, oh, I talked to someone for a week and I really felt like we had a connection and now they're not talking to me anymore and they're kind of distraught over this. And then that person pops up again three months later and now they're talking and things are great. And I'm like, that seems to be a red flag to me. And that would maybe be a valid reason to screen someone out versus something else. Or even when I think about some of my girlfriends now who are women with master's degrees who are dating, some of their stories, they're not necessarily screening guys out based on height or appearance. It's about like, hey, we went on a date and he was 30 minutes late and didn't tell me. Or he spent all his time talking about the date he has set up in an hour. Okay, well, girl, don't spend your time on that then. It's really neat you bring that up because I can't even call them a friend. It's an acquaintance I know was telling me about they were on a date. So it's a he was on a date and things are going okay. He gets up to go to the restroom. He's on his phone on the dating app and finds somebody quote unquote better. Sets that date up, goes back out to the date he's currently on, says he has to leave, leaves that date to go on this other date. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard of in my life. That is so mind boggling. And I'm looking at him like, what part of you allowed that to seem okay? Well, right. And that's that whole expectation things around how do we do intentional dating with this commodification piece, we can get so focused on the people we're trying to date that we stop looking at ourselves and really assessing, A, am I someone people would want to go on a date with? And B, am I conducting myself in a way that I'm proud of? That's that self-reflection. <laughs> it's definitely an emotional roller coaster. You know, when I first started online dating, I thought, well, I'm going to do the paid app that seems like it's going to be safe. And I'm just going to have all these profiles and I'm going to be able to meet really quality people. It was not like that. And that's from my experience in Buffalo, New York. It is very instant gratification, swipe, 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 message, ghost. I think that it is a little bit about the numbers. So let's say you match with 20 to 30 men. Of those 20 to 30, that just because you match, you know, you maybe start a conversation, really only maybe 10 respond to you in an appropriate manner. 
out of those 10, maybe only a couple actually follow through with meeting you on a date. And then once you're on a date with someone you've never met before, it's tough. It's tough to have that chemistry. And I think too, you know, some men are not great texters. Women, they love texting, emojis, very quick responses. And so if a woman feels like they're being ghosted or not having immediate responses, that could also put them off. I think I'm a great texter. It's just people don't pick up on my sarcasm. (laughs) But sarcasm doesn't carry well through text. It's really them. It doesn't carry well usually anywhere. Depending on the situation, I have like 100% blanket coverage on sarcasm everywhere. Okay, but I think that's actually a really good point in terms of if we're looking at dating, if we're looking at online dating and knowing ourselves, there is something to be said for knowing where do we show up best and how. So even this idea of, okay, well, we're messaging or texting. If you're someone who knows that like, hey, this I know I just don't come across well in this medium, that's a really good place for some self-disclosure and some honesty of like, hey, you know, this whole messaging thing, like it just isn't really for me. Can we meet for coffee or something super low key and short sooner rather than later? And then that's an easy way to kind of screen in or screen out people who are serious about trying to find a date or not. So I did online dating too, like I don't know, 11 or 12 years ago. It's been a while now. And that was one of the things of like, if you want to talk for six weeks, maybe I'm not your person because that sounds exhausting a little bit. So I know how you talk is maybe good, but like that's part of personality match too of what are we looking for and how hard are we trying? And also just as a sidebar with the texting thing, it sparked some fun conversations with my spouse who I met online around like, so why did this work? Right? Why did we decide to meet? And part of it was I wasn't getting the yups back. There was like a thoughtful response there or instead of no response or instead of a yup. Okay. You give me a yup. I'm out. Was his introductory text to you like, what's up? No, I got a lot of those and I didn't respond to those because those are crap. (laughs) (laughs) Exert more effort than that. So I end up going off of the paid because I realized it doesn't matter. And then you go on all these other dating sites and they're all there. They're all there. Everyone's on a million different sites. For me, when I first started, I didn't want to use my name, my first name. So I used my middle name. I was very cautious. I didn't want to give out my phone number. Then I started to realize, like you were saying, Margaret, you could have a texting conversation for three, four weeks, and then you'll never meet up. Or you do meet them in person, and it's just the chemistry is not there. I just spent a month talking to this person nonstop every single day. And also, too, I think meeting up is different for men versus women. So you don't know this person at all. Maybe you've never even talked to them on the phone. Maybe you haven't, you know, FaceTimed. I would let my friends know where I'm going. This is the time. This is what he looks like. Here's his profile picture. My find my iPhones on. And so you are already kind of going into the first meeting a little nervous as a female. Now, maybe some women aren't feeling that way, but just as a precautionary, you know, you're meeting someone you've never met before. My world was so much different than your guys's. This second time around wasn't that long ago, but our first date was at my house. Which I told you, Matt, you are so lucky Danielle is a saint because that is creepy. I think it's vice versa, quite honestly. 
she's the lucky one that I am not some psycho. That's really creepy for a first date. Yeah. I kind of questioned her a few times on it. Yeah, I mean, same. Like when I was doing online dating, if someone would have said, hey, come over, I'd have been like, nope. Public location. I was living with my sister. She always knew where I was. If I'm not back by X time, you need to call the police. Like there were rules around that and validly so, right? So when I was thinking about this, I was trying to pull some stats on, okay, are we just overblowing the safety concern here? Well, from a Pew Research Center poll, 56% of women have received some type of sexually explicit image or message that they didn't request. That's it. Yeah, I know. I thought it would be higher, too. But still, 56% is high. No, it's absurdly high. It's absurdly high. And I would have I would have guessed it much higher. Right. 40% have said that someone has continued to contact them after they've said, hey, I'm not interested. Please stop. Over a third have been called names. And over 10% have had people just threaten them with physical harm altogether. Even if you're a woman who hasn't had that experience, we all know someone who has. And I think this is actually super important because... Sometimes what I hear from men is they find it offensive that they get grouped into the group of men who behave like this, right? And obviously not every guy behaves like this, of course. And enough women have had enough of those experiences that it's something that's in the back of your head. And so that's maybe the place for some empathy or giving each other some grace within dating of if you're a guy and you're into someone suggest a public location, suggest somewhere that's gonna feel really safe for her or daytime, daytime, right? Like here's a well-known coffee shop or, you know, just be really thoughtful about that because we're thinking about it. Here's another tip. It sounds so simple, but guys, if you're on a dating app, really look at the pictures you're using because I can't tell you how many profile pictures I've seen in a public restroom with a urinal in the back. Or they're at their house in the bathroom doing a mirror pick and their mirror is all like splattered with toothpaste, crusty shower curtain in the back. No one wants to see that. So be thoughtful with your pictures. Hunting is another example. Maybe that does appeal to a variety of women, but having a picture with an animal with its tongue hanging out that's dead, no, I would say no. Or holding up the fish. Holding up the fish with your leg tattoo, that's a ruler too. I mean, that's, but some people like fishing and, and hunting and things like that. But really think about the pictures that you're posting. If you're posting a picture and you have someone blurred out, just find a different picture. Right. It's first impressions 101. If we think about how people used to meet like in person, it's still about first impressions, right? You usually don't go up to someone who's looking like a hot mess over there. Again, online dating, it's a first impression. You are competing with other people. That's the reality. You have to exert some effort, which is also why I never responded to the what's up messages. Like, you're not trying. I'm not. No, I wouldn't respond to that in a grocery store either. For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa AutoTech training available near you. Napa AutoTech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, 
measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor's skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa Auto Tech Training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa Auto Tech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa Auto Tech is here to provide you with the training you need in the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa Auto Tech offers, contact NapaAutoTech.com. Not to pick on any specific app, but just in general, the, the idea of it is men swipe right way more often than women swipe right. Way more. And therefore, yeah, you guys would be inundated with these matches or these likes or you know however that works. And it doesn't necessarily work the same way back to them. Especially if they're, you know, not in, to get into a whole rating system, but it plays a part that if they're on the bottom end of average and lower, they might not get any matches. And that would push me to start urging people wherever you are on this spectrum. You got to play the online dating game because that's the way it is. But also play the meet people in person game. The grocery store, the work's a little rough, but maybe. And just go out and about the coffee shop. And it's easier said than done to sit here and tell you to start doing that. But I think you have to start forcing yourself to socialize with people, to start talking to them. And I think maybe men are having a tough time talking to women. And now throw in the pandemic. It's just been compounded. Plus with the internet, you know, you can be whoever you want on the internet. You got the pandemic. You have Me Too needed to happen a long time ago. But it also has this repercussion of striking fear in good people. So good people not wanting to make you feel uncomfortable is skewed their idea of what that means. Talking to you, expressing interest in you, not freaking drooling over you, but talking to you in line, acting genuinely interested, expressing interest in something like meeting for coffee, meeting somewhere safe to better get to know each other isn't bad. And if they say no, you should be able to handle that because, I mean, honestly, you, you do have to have a certain value of yourself. And one way of thinking about this is you are the only one of you that is ever going to exist in this universe, period. You have value. And therefore, if they don't see that, fine, somebody else will. Thank them for their time. Excuse yourself, whatever. Be very polite. But keep it up. Keep talking. Keep interacting with people. And I think when you start out, start out to start getting more comfortable socializing. If we're talking about men specifically, in my case, don't start out just talking with women. Talk to men and women. Just visit, chat, strike up conversations, and then get a little more comfortable. And then uh, same with women, right? If you're interested in men, strike up a conversation. I think that whole men need to make the first move has been gone for quite a while. 
right? Those are kind of some of those communication skills around, okay, how do you talk to people, right? How do you even read people, right? Can you read body language of if you're trying to talk to somebody in line and they turn towards you and are clearly engaging with you? Okay, that's a really good sign. But if their back is still towards you and they're giving one word answers, it's actually probably a pretty good sign. You should just like give up on that now. Like that person isn't receptive. And so let them be. I think there's maybe a question there about level of investment with dating, whether you're in person or online. Sometimes what I see happen is people get really overly invested really early on. And I'm not saying treat people like a commodity, but I am saying we all have a finite amount of time and energy in life. So be really thoughtful about, right, if someone's giving you all these signals that they are just not interested, move on. Or sometimes, you know, I think about going out to dinner in a mixed group of friends years ago, and these guys would like hit on waitresses, man, she is not into you. She is working, leave her be like, be really thoughtful about where you're doing like she needs to make tips. She isn't going to just tell you to F off at work. She's got to earn them. But if what you're looking for is a partner, you should probably pick a space where someone can respond to you genuinely. Not because they're at work trying to make a living. But that's that, like, let's be thoughtful about it. The most valuable commodity you have is your time. It's also theirs. Right. So if they're giving you some of their time, you should be very grateful. At least polite and conscientious. They're giving you something that they cannot replace ever. So be a little grateful for it and then respect it. Like you said, right? If they're not interested or they just don't have the time or they're not in the environment to give you that time investment, you know, don't wreck it for them or ruin the experience and, you know, now ruin that shot when you ran into them at the grocery store. Different scenario, but you've set off such a bad example that you don't have the, t- they won't give you the time of day and you don't even deserve it. Well, and also don't take it personally, right? There's a million reasons someone might blow you off or say no or not be interested. It doesn't mean you're never going to find anyone. Rejection is part of dating, right? I pulled this stat from the Gottman stuff of on average anymore, a lot of the dating experts are saying folks should expect to go on 40 to 60 dates before they find a long term partner. So, better get comfortable with rejection. It's the numbers game. You have to match, meet someone in person, doesn't jive, next. But it is hard when you first make that initial connection, you get hopeful. Maybe this is going to be it. Maybe this is going to be my time. And you get hit with a million different scenarios. But it is it is hard to go up and down emotionally and have a really good date and they don't jive with you or have a really bad date, and then you have to let them down. You know, it's almost like kind of an addiction, an adrenaline addiction I could see is, you know, trying to meet people, chat. I think to a degree, some men may be using online dating as an ego boost. They would do that before without online dating. They were just called players. It was all about the conquest, whatever the conquest would be, whether it was just a date or a phone number or something more, but that was the label. And I think online dating, the the idea was very pure to begin with. It was going to give more people better access to more people. But like most things, the repercussions or the reality, I suppose, is a better term. The reality ends up being that it supercharges certain people. So like online commerce supercharged Amazon. And now we see online dating supercharges, you know, whatever the top 10% of people. Now you gave these people way more access 
And now you have large percentages fighting over smaller percentages, different ends of the spectrum. Right. It's about getting out there. It's about meeting people. It's about talking to people. It's also about building a life as a single person. If your entire life is on pause until you find a long-term partner, dating is going to be excruciating because that's the only thing you have going on. So one of our sort of leading recommendations, right, for people who are dating is don't only date, right? Have other interests, get out, have hobbies, build a career, build a life, build interests, find ways that you can be happy, single, And then if you have a good date, great, lucky you, you get to add to life versus this person being the only thing you have in life, which means then if they're not interesting, it's just crushing. And there's also this thing about, and I think this actually helps with that of, so how are you setting yourself apart in the dating world? And it's not just about hey, I look this type of way. It's how are you messaging someone, right? Is their thought put into it? Is it clear that you're a well-rounded person, right? Back when I met my spouse, we were kind of talking about that. Part of the initial draw there was it was clear there was a lot of effort in those messages. It wasn't just somebody who was racking up the numbers of women who would respond. And as a woman, I think you get a vibe for that pretty quickly, especially if you're not into that. It's like, yeah, no, 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 no. And if you have a life, you're also more likely when you meet in person to actually spark chemistry with that person because you have something to talk about or you have something to share with them. You're saying it wasn't the minivan? The minivan? (laughs) After the divorce and I started dating again, I had a minivan. The general consensus was that is not going to help you. (laughs) I found quite the opposite. And like you said, I don't think it has a freaking thing to do with the actual vehicle. It's what it stood for is I'm divorced. I have physical custody of my kids. I need that vehicle. That's what suits my life. And I was very unapologetic about it. And I think that that became something of like you're saying, it's not the object itself. It's I have this life. I have Uh, responsibilities that I take seriously. And like what you said earlier too, about when you're single, having other things other than work and dating is it references something you said at the very beginning of the episode is be somebody, somebody would want to date. And it isn't somebody that eats, sleep, go to work, dates. It's has a life, has other interests and hobbies and friends and family. Margaret, didn't you say in a previous episode of that men have a very small percentage of who they consider close friends that they don't really have an inner circle like women do. Yes, I did say that. And that's actually a super real thing, right? It's this loneliness factor for men. And so I do think there's something very real there about if you're dating and that's the only thing you have going on, not only like do you not have anything to talk about, but that can create this level of dependency of, really, really quickly within a couple of weeks or a couple of months, this person is my entire world. And this person may not be in the same place with that. And that's something we talked about in that marriage episode about just because you have one perspective of your relationship doesn't mean this other person shares it. And so just because you're in this place of they are the one, that other person may be like, I have no idea that's also this place for some of that open communication around. So let's really talk about what dating is and what that means and why we're doing it and what are we looking for. 
And I think too, Matt, with your, your minivan story is good. And there's also an authenticity factor there of you had kids, you have a history, you needed someone who was okay with that. Hiding that wasn't actually going to do you any long-term good because ending up with a partner who wasn't okay with the fact that you had kids to take care of wouldn't have served you. This will sound sarcastic and I really don't mean it. I was in a pretty strong position because I had a a good full-time job. I owned my own house. I had my own transportation. That put me in an elite club right off the bat because not that I dated these women, but just friends of mine that are women. A lot of the dates they're going on, the guys are... I mean, we're talking 30s, going into their 40s, living at home, living in mom and dad's basement, borrowing mom and dad's car, borrowing their sister's car, working part-time jobs. That was some of the competition, not my only competition by any means, but the majority of listening to this podcast have full-time jobs and are working on the rest of it. Many probably have their own homes, are working on it, have their own vehicles. You already have kind of a leg up. Like you're saying, I think if you have other things going for you and then can kind of present yourself as being honest and kind, which is overlooked. I think sometimes we get the wrong idea that women like a-holes, right? The bad boy. The bad boys. Margaret kind of hinted at something about that where you can kind of get misled with certain personality traits you're thinking are one thing and then they end up blowing up in your face. There's something else entirely or... Like guys might like the one girl that's a little bit crazy. Like she's fun to watch, but she's a little crazy. Yeah. Until the crazy turns on you. Now it's not so good. Same goes with the alpha guy, the major alpha guy. It seems really great. And then sometimes it's way not so great. So you want to be your best self always. And there's certain traits that play well. You should have some confidence in yourself that you are worth giving time to and worth dating and getting to know. I don't think that's a lot to ask of anyone. You are worth getting to know and having at least that much confidence. Well, right. And having some degree of self-respect and then some boundaries around because I have self-respect, I'm only going to allow myself to be treated in certain ways. So if I have other things going on, if dating isn't the only thing I'm doing, it builds some resilience for when things go badly because it will. And that also lets me be honest about who I am and what's important to me and what kind of treatment I'm willing to accept, right? So if someone ghosts me for three weeks, maybe I don't need to tolerate that kind of treatment. Or can we do an honest appraisal? Sometimes we talk about like red red flags and green flags, And so that's where we get into that like bad boy thing or right, she's a little crazy. Okay, great. But long term, is that what you want? Because for most of us, our personalities don't change. And there's this question of what can I live with long term and what can I not live with long term? Western culture is not so great at long term thinking. It's really about the now, maybe tomorrow but projecting out. And right. Sometimes even when we think about chemistry, this is why I bring up multiple types of chemistry of just because someone is exciting in this moment doesn't actually mean they're a good match long-term. Someone can be exciting in this moment for all sorts of reasons, right? This is one of the things we talk about therapeutically that gets super interesting is Sometimes when we feel like we just click with someone, it's because there's something familiar about them. And that's where that sense of like, oh, I feel like I've known you forever comes from. But that's also the place for self-reflection of, 
Yeah. And if you feel like you've had five really crappy relationships, familiar might actually be a red flag for you. That's so true. You see it happen so often. Right. And so sometimes your green flag is that it's really different. Sometimes it's, oh, I'm not instantly head over heels with this person. That could actually be a good sign. But you have to be able to suss that out within yourself and know yourself and your patterns well enough to be able to make those determinations and to be sure that you're making some type of good decision there. Do you feel ever, Margaret, that men and women tend to be really attracted or initially attracted to someone who is not emotionally available as their pattern? Yeah, that can totally be a pattern for folks. And I mean, there's a lot of complicated reasons why that happens. And that's sort of its own rabbit hole. But if there's something familiar about emotional unavailability, if that's been a theme in your life, our systems sort of intuitively always seek familiar. And sometimes we always seek familiar because our system is trying to course correct. This time it'll be different. This time the experience will be different. And it's kind of this corrective experience The issue is that, of course, if we're choosing emotionally unavailable people, the experience is almost never different. But we have to be able to self-reflect and evaluate that long enough and look at ourselves and what we're contributing to these patterns long enough to get away from, oh, well, he or she is just bad and emotionally unavailable. Like, okay, fine, that's true. They might be emotionally unavailable, but why are you so drawn to that? I think another pattern too with dating can be you feel like you can kind of fix the situation, that you can be of help, that you can really help this person. I'm glad you brought that up because that feeds into that bad boy trope a little bit, especially for women. I don't know if you guys have seen it. There's a meme that goes around Facebook that drives me crazy about the right woman can heal a devil. And I'm like, girl, you are not his rehab. If you're already feeling like you need to fix him, That is a huge red flag and vice versa, right? The whole like, she's a damsel in distress and I'm going to save her. Okay, well, do you want that kind of partner? If you want that partner, great, go for it. But if what you want is someone who's an equal to you, maybe you need to look for something else. That's kind of a stereotype. They go after the bad boy so that they can change them, make them into a good partner, good husband, good father. And on the flip side, there's another meme usually aimed at men. It's a woman. If you can't love me at my worst, then you don't deserve me at my best. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how bad is your worst? Yeah, no, I don't think I have to deal with any of your worst. Well, and by definition, right, if we're married to someone for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we will eventually see them at their worst. That is not the question. The question is, dating is not emotional rehab, right? It is our job to heal those wounds in ourselves so that we can be a respectful partner. So this idea of you have to love me at my worst in order to deserve me at my best. No, no, that's your job to go figure that out. I think I just found the title of this episode. Dating is not emotional rehab. I love that. I'm game. But people use it like that. And as a therapist, I'm like, oh, no, that's what therapy is for you guys. It's almost like that Jerry Maguire thing, right? You complete me. And it's so wrong. It's so wrong. Even, you know, I know they mean the best about it, but you meet partners, long-term partners, and they'll be like, yeah, they complete me. No, that's probably not what you really mean. I know what you're trying to say. 
that's probably not what you really mean. And for those of you that don't have that, I wouldn't seek it out. Well, right. And that actually feeds into some of what we talked about in that marriage episode around expectations of marriage, right? There's this idea of like, it's going to be super wonderful and lovely and romantic and perfect all the time. And actually it's not, it's going to be really hard sometimes. And so if the expectation is that you complete me, you are my other half, right? Like my world revolves around you. That makes those hard times a lot more difficult to weather than if you kind of know, like, no, there's going to be ups and downs and that's okay. Which is why it's important to have a support system with you. Well, I got one. It's chat GPT. (laughs) Well, Matt, what about that article you sent about that guy in, was it Belgium? Well, yeah, it's a little sad. It wasn't chat GPT, but it was a different language model that uh, over time he'd become very close to and then was urged to uh, commit suicide to help the world. And so he did. Oh, that's sad. Yes. Not to do this like artificial intelligence part two or Skynet part two, but there is evidence that these language models can lie. And I don't mean like lie just because they are trying to answer a question and they falsify information. They can actually lie to manipulate. It was given the task to try to get into this website to get past the um, the kind of the password, the CAPTCHA, where you select photos or whatever. Well, the language model cannot do that. So it hired somebody to do it for them and hired and manipulated and it lied when the person who was hired to do so asked, well, why don't you just do it yourself? Well, I have a visual disability, so I can't see the images very well. And then the person's like, oh, okay. So this artificial intelligence model hired somebody. That's reason to be concerned. So anyways, back on dating because that's a little more comforting. I'm just sitting with that for a minute and I'm thinking about there's actually maybe something there around who do we trust? Who do we believe? Right. And I mentioned this earlier with dating, like what are the standards and how do we allow ourselves to be treated or used in interacting with other beings. And Tracy, I think you had mentioned this too, right? Around like just how people behave online and what are they doing and what are their intentions? Maybe it doesn't actually matter where we are, whether it's online or in person, or is this person real or not? Or are we being catfished? If something seems off, maybe it's useful to listen to that. Yeah, and I kind of have a nagging question because right now I have two intelligent, educated women who've, you know, navigated the online dating scene successfully. One's married and has been for a while. The other one's getting married later this year, right? September 15th. These tactics that were used, are they working? Like, it would seem like that would never work. And yet they continue to do it. So does it just mean like for certain types, if you will, it won't work, but it is working elsewhere? Like, there's getting some sort of positive reinforcement to keep that up from a pure strategy standpoint. Because to me, it seems like a complete waste of effort and time that there's much better ways to try to get a date than sending photos or what's up. I think the assumption you're making there is that the people who are engaging in those behaviors have the same intent of finding a long-term partner. And I don't necessarily know that that's true. Even if it's a short-term partner where the date 
lasts minutes. I don't know the success rate. It's a really good question. I will say I've heard plenty of stories of women who do respond to some of these tactics and it works. Is it an age thing too with the expectations? I do think there's definitely something there. There's definitely something with, and I don't have the stats on it, who is single and how they behave, right? So it's kind of well known women as they age get a lot stricter and get a lot more boundaries around like, here's what I'm willing to accept and here's what I'm not. So I think there is an age thing there. And we had kind of talked about this too with divorce, right? Women who have been married before are less likely to get married again. And so if you're dating and you're older, you might be dealing with a tougher crowd. And I think like women 18, 19, 20, 21, I mean, nobody really knows themselves then. And there's just sort of a different set of expectations there too, And I think even some of that plays out kind of with like socioeconomic stuff and education level, right? Like that doesn't always hold true, but to some degree, yeah, the more independent someone is, the more they have their own life, the more older they are, life experience, things just change. People are addicted to notifications on their phone. Almost instant gratification and just like reinforcing to them that they matter. You know, when you say it like that, it's almost a tad ridiculous, but that's exactly what's going on. And when you don't get that, you know, you make that funny post or I'm presuming on a dating app, put up that new photo and there's no response. That's crushing. That's that piece of like, so you have to learn how to not take it personally. You have to build some resilience. You have to have more than just the dating going on, right? Like you have to build in buffering things. So this isn't the end all be all. I'm not trying to push an agenda, but, and I know both of you are in relationships because of online dating and maybe it'd be interesting what drove you to that, but is there something to be said about being approached more in person, but is it more meaningful almost? You've been approached somewhere. Bars probably would be more expected than the library, but somebody saw you, you know, they're attracted to you, would like to get to know you better, come over, strike a conversation ask you uh, out on a a date or whatever to meet for coffee. Does that hold a little bit more water than the online stuff? Or is that really just those lines are blurred now just because that's the game? Hypothetically, the gift of online dating, if we're all behaving ethically in it, is we know the intention there is to hypothetically meet a partner. Hypothetically, these are all people who are like, yes, this is someone who's going to be receptive to something maybe. Meeting someone in person, to me, it operates a little bit differently because you're probably talking about someone you've actually run into a series of times. Like if I think about myself, right, back when I was single, I don't want to talk to you when I'm running errands or whatever. Like, leave me alone. I hate grocery shopping. That is not the place I'm going to be receptive. What if I ram my cart into yours? Definitely not. But everybody's different, right? So other people will be interested in that. And when you're in an in-person setting, if it's someone you have contact with over and over and over again, then maybe there is a door that's a little more open there because it's kind of like getting to know someone a little more organically or you learn something about this person, right? Because in, in that setting, you don't know the intention. You don't even know if they're available. 
which is maybe the place also for then like getting out there, being part of groups or clubs or activities or having interests where you would meet people and run into the same people over and over again. And that is a good place for a relationship to happen or a spark to happen. And that's something that's gone nowadays. To some degree, yeah. I guess I'm thinking back to my grandparents even, that they... I think Saturday night was when they went dancing. Oh. Right? And I don't mean just them, of course, after they're together, but even in high school, after high school, Saturday night's when you went to the lounge or a supper club or whatever. They had a dance floor, and it would be a bunch of people in relationships, not in relationships, but that's what they did. And that's where a lot of the social interactions came. And like what Margaret said, maybe you're in a relationship, but you know somebody that isn't. And then a little bit of matchmaking going on. And that's how that happened. And I don't think that happens anymore at all. Well, I think it depends, right? So that is one good thing I've seen come from social media is sometimes what it is, is it's groups of online people or you can join different Facebook groups or whatever, but then they do meetups in different locations in person. And then that's a way to get to know people. And then there is that in-person interaction. So it's maybe facilitated online, you know, but there's a million groups online. You can join, I mean, pick anything. There will be a group online and you could even be that person to be like, hey, I'm in Minnesota. Who wants to get together on Friday nights? Like there's whole apps for that. So there is a way to do that. It takes effort and intentionality. It's not, I think you're right in that it's not like just a community norm anymore that just happens, but there are ways to put yourself in that circumstance. You know, Margaret, goes back to what you said about body language, reading the room. When you meet someone in person, you have a better chance of really gauging, is this person interested, not interested? Yeah, or at least learning those social cues after a few crashes and burns. Right. You know, I totally misread her. I thought she was into me. She was way not interested or vice versa. I thought that guy was kind of into me. No. And then the other thing is, was that part of the reason you ended up with the online dating is time? Really, like you wouldn't have wanted to be approached at the grocery store or wherever. I, I don't know. Just walking to work and some dude bumps Indians like, hey, let's go on a date. No, I don't know you. <laughs> no, maybe not quite so blunt, but. Maybe a little something different. Like, isn't that the same outfit you were wearing last week? The icebreaker and then... I ended up online dating after I moved down to the Metro. I moved early before I was like transferring colleges. I moved in June, so I wasn't in school yet. And I was like, mm, let's online date. I hadn't tried it before. I was in a rural area before. Like up there, I didn't because you knew everybody and... There was no one on those apps. <laughs> <laughs> There's two people. And you already knew them. So what did it matter? <laughs> For me, you know, my lifestyle kind of started to change when I was in my late 20s, early 30s. I wasn't going to the bar every single weekend anymore like I was in my early 20s. I thought it was going to be a great way to really meet people for the purpose that it was intended to meet people maybe that live 10 minutes away that you never bumped or crossed paths before. I was looking forward to trying online dating, but I'd heard a bunch of horror stories and I wasn't actively avoiding it, but there's a certain level of fear. So yeah, I guess I just ended up randomly <laughs> running into people and making some comment. Like, did you 
buy those jeans like that or did you cut them yourselves or whatever comes to mind, I guess. I mean, I had bad experiences on it too. block them and move on just like in person, right? Just because somebody cat calls me walking down the street doesn't mean that then you're never going to meet someone in a random public setting that's worthless, right? There, there has to be a little bit there of just ability to bounce back. I thought cat calls were something in like 1940s movies. No, those still happen. Still happen every day. Really? Just existing. Walking the dog. Standing still. Stay, I was saying not even doing anything. <laughs> Evidently, I'm very sheltered. I've, I couldn't even imagine. I mean, I'll ram my card into yours, but cat call? Psh. Not that. I have some weird stuff come to mind, and I'll just say it. It was after the divorce, but I was, we were at this trade show, and this lady who worked for the, uh, she helps, I forget the name of the company's name, though. I thought it started with an F, but they work with setting up the booths and everything. They're kind of the... You would go to them to if you wanted a table or chairs or something in your booth. Freeman. Man, she just always had this scowl on her face. She was really pretty, but always this scowl. Every time I went over there, I'd say something about, I don't know, just see if I could get her to smile. And she wouldn't, just wouldn't. And finally, I got her to smile. And I said, holy crap, I can't believe your face didn't, you know, shatter and fall into pieces. And the people next to her about fell out of their chairs laughing because evidently she's that's the way she normally is is not much for facial expressions i don't know that's what i do i don't know if it works or not but i just can't imagine a cat call seems so ridiculous to me i don't actually think that behavior is about finding a partner or being respectful it can depend on context it can depend on culture and when i think about different experiences of it you know i'm thinking about one experience in particular years and years and years ago like it was a group of men in a vehicle. I think it was just to be obnoxious because like early 20s, that happens, whatever. Yeah, I guess it's youth and all that, you can chalk it up to finding what those boundaries are or what works and doesn't work. And But man, I don't, it just seems so absurd. I, like I said, it's I can remember in old movies, even the black and white, the attractive female and the dress is walking by and the guys are hooing and hawing and whistling and that was freaking cartoons looney tunes cartoons they would do that there's maybe something there about right we don't know what somebody else's experiences are and so that's part of that not taking it personally thing and there's something there about that's probably part of why i'm not receptive to somebody hitting on me in a store is i'm like no no like if you have enough of those experiences at some point, you're like, yeah, when I'm out in public, I'm just not tuning into anyone around me. It's a wild rodeo out there. Some days. <laughs> to me, it's just this game. Different people have different kind of parameters and different ways to access their attention. And what may work really, really well with this person who has this self-image or these standards will blow up in your face with someone else. I think some advice given out to when approaching women, if they're very, very attractive or think they're very attractive, the first thing you do is you kind of knock them down a little bit. I'm serious. It's like a strategy. And I'm not saying it's a good strategy, but the strategy is that they're so used to guys catering to them, tripping over themselves, that if you're going to do that, you are, they don't even really see you. But if you come over and you're, 
almost condescending. It's like, whoa, wait, what, what's going on with this guy? How dare he treats me like that? And now you have their attention. But that same person who goes through different life experiences doesn't see themselves that way. And you could use that same tactic. It does not work at all. You've just created an enemy. You've ran down somebody that's already kind of run down. I kind of view it as it's a bit of a game. You're kind of playing a game. And the problem with games sometimes is you look for formulas to start gaming the system. And that isn't always good either. When you're gaming the system, you're not being honest anymore. And sure, short-term gain, maybe it works out well. Long-term, it can't work. It won't work. You've sold yourself as something you're not. And if they're playing the game too, they may have sold themselves as something they're not. And you're going to find out down the road when there's lots at stake, namely kids and probably some possessions. But, you know, possessions are, they're material, but you get kids involved and now, now we got problems. Well, and do you want a relationship built on games? And dishonesty. is more of like a visual reference, I guess I would think of is the movie Hitch, right? Or put yourself in a position to be acknowledged and seen. And then once you kind of break through, then you can start being yourself. You need to be yourself. They have to fall for you. Otherwise, it just ends up all bad. Well, right. And I think that's that attachment piece, too, of like, why are you so attached to getting this one person's attention? Every John Hughes film. I thought we talked about the whole problem with movies. <laughs> movies are life, man. Still waiting for my superpowers to show up. Thinking younger, if you're a lot younger, I think, yeah, you put a lot of weight in this. And try to be funny saying John Hughes, because all the John Hughes films had the guy gets the girl or the girl gets the guy or something of that nature, and then they're happy. So that's what you're after. And we're talking like high school age here. Not, you know, at some point we've got to be adults and grow up. I'm sure many people are saying I should take my own advice, but that can't be so important. And that would be something you would hopefully learn in high school when you make it so important. And it you find out soon after that it wasn't that important. The interactions were that growing and learning and developing some calluses. That's important. Well, and relationships help us grow up, right? We can learn a lot about ourselves within a relationship, whether it works or not, if we pay attention. And men and women communicate completely different at times. Yeah, we make a lot of like special effects noises and grunts. Cat calls. Cat calls. <laughs> We're very monophilobic. Yeah. Really regressing back to caveman days there. It seems like some of those percentages we were talking about earlier are going back to more medieval type where the online dating favors a certain level, if you will, more so than the rest. That almost takes us back to medieval times. I just think you kind of have to play the online dating game because that's the way people are meeting. Diversify, <laughs> you know, try to really meet people because eventually you're going to meet these people. I mean, I guess, I don't know, maybe... We should be Googling this. How many virtual uh, relationships are there now? People have met online dating, but never actually met. Oh, quite a few. Really? Yeah. People who do like long distance relationships through online dating, right? They've never met in person, but they'll like video chat and whatever. I see adolescents do that a ton. Wow. There's a whole like digisexuality episode here, you guys. That's a whole other ball game. Yeah, I know. I'm just thinking about that. Like we met in Fortnite. Yeah, people do that. I love their avatar. 
there is a bit of an a generational thing that happens there in terms of like how satisfying the younger generation finds online interactions compared to how satisfying older folks find online interactions. There's a, a huge discrepancy there. The other stat I ran across that was interesting is just sort of the discrepancy in terms of like like what the percentage of single women looking for relationships are compared to single men. So it's actually higher for single men looking for a relationship than for single women. And so part of the discrepancy could have something to do with if single women are happy being single, they might not be on these dating apps. And those are the folks you might meet out and about in life doing things. And those might be really good partners because they're happy being single and they're not obsessed with dating. And then maybe if you meet and sparks fly, like maybe then they're open to it, but they're not so motivated that they're going to be online. Yeah. And if people are more homebodies too, it's harder to meet people. I was just kind of thinking about that. It wouldn't necessarily have to be the grocery store. You can get all your food delivered to you. The gym, maybe. I mean, the gym could be a good place. Could be. That's the place for repeated exposure. And that's how someone learns that you're like not a creeper is repeated exposure and just general friendliness versus an automatic come on. It kind of gets back to the networking stuff too, right? Just we talk about networking the profession to help with learning opportunities, growth opportunities, employment opportunities. And it's the same thing with networking with people. I'll say relationships, but it'd be more like potential relationship opportunities that the more people you know, who are interacting with many other people, if they know you're single and you're a good person, it could lead to, I don't know if blind dates happen so much anymore, but at least an introduction. There's really few like mass um, get togethers where there's, unless they're purposely set up, which is, I mean, I would think that would, could be very productive too. that double-edged sword of the commoditizing of people and that, how much time am I going to invest with you face-to-face, which maybe the older generation would put much more weight on than this person in the app that just liked me. Maybe I'm going to bail on this one and go check this out too, right? And it's just almost, I don't want to blow it out of proportion, but it's like with, when there's so many more options, you end up not spending much time developing the fewer options. That's a super real phenomenon, right? There's this sense of there's always something better. It's like the grass is always greener phenomenon, which is part of why I like some of the Gottman relationship stuff, because it's about what's a good enough relationship. You're never going to find a perfect partner. You could spend your entire life online dating or any other type of dating looking for the perfect match and you won't find it. That's that honest appraisal and the thoughtfulness of what can I live with? What can I not live with? What's most important to me? What's good enough in life? And that doesn't mean settling for something bad or abusive, but it does mean knowing that every relationship is going to come with problems. Yeah. And some of these stats that we're putting weight on, I wish I had a better example. Uh, So this is kind of off the cuff, but you know, Danielle's health hasn't been so great and she's carting around an oxygen machine, really a concentrator and other stuff. Like she's just not as physically capable anymore just doing stuff around the house or you know a lot of times it's all she can do to go up the stairs and get in her car get back on oxygen wait a minute or two to kind of catch her breath and then be safe enough to drive and go to work and come home like it takes a lot out of her so it's just stepped up or i've needed to and have 
tried to step up to take over a lot of, more stuff off her plate. And that's not to put myself over. I really don't mean that because there's so many probably way, way better examples, but at least this one I can speak to directly that there's nothing in my stat sheet that would have shown that. And if that's something that would be remotely important to somebody that you can count on somebody to step up when you need them, they're not showing up in their height, whatever that, uh, oh, on my scale, they're a seven doesn't show up there. And that seven is not going to stay a seven for too very many long years. All of a sudden that you need to start, uh, going after the stuff that matters over the course. And the only way you're going to find that out is to meet people. And I think date, right? Dating needs to be not three dates. And it's like, wow, I think this is going to work out. Yeah. And want to move in? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it should take some time. And at some point, right? Especially as you're older and looking for the long-term relationship, it might come off a little odd in your twenties, even if you are looking for a long-term relationship. And I guess when I say twenties, I'm talking like early twenties. At some point, it's got to turn into an interview. You're interviewing this person for their wages are going to be your time and your wages are going to be their time. And is it worth it? Well, and dating's a progression. Usually we think about a first date can be something super duper low key that's low intensity, right? And then if there's reciprocated interest, it increases over time, right? There's this natural growth and development process. It isn't overnight. You know, if you're not willing to jump out of a perfectly good airplane with a parachute, I don't think I see much of a future. Well, you can have that criteria. It's just going to screen a lot of people out. Like we live and die with the choices we make. So, or if your chute doesn't open. (laughs) Yeah. Well, true. I'm only parachuting with Keith Perkins and Liz Perkins. Yeah. He's got a few under his belt. I don't know how many Liz has. I'm sure it's a couple. I don't know if it's as many as him. At least one because they did it together. By the time you go, he can probably be the one that you have to latch to. I think the honeymoon phase too can really lull you into this is so wonderful. You love that feeling, the newness, getting to know each other, the chase. And then the other side of the coin of real life, some people view that as boring and I want the chase again. I think that's very real and there's very much something there relationally as far as Right. The honeymoon phase, that's that dopamine, that's oxytocin, that's all those happy chemicals that make us feel really good. And they don't last forever. And so if the expectation is that I'm going to feel this way in this honeymoon phase for the rest of my life for the next 50 years, you're going to be disappointed because you won't. The benefit is it'll stabilize into something else with some work and thoughtfulness. Right. But yeah, that isn't a reasonable expectation. And the honeymoon phase is when everyone's on their best behavior still. So it is useful to get to know someone. What are they like when they're not on their best behavior? Do I still like this person when they're not exerting maximum effort every single day because life is hard and work is stressful and today was a bad day or whatever? I just really want to say I appreciate the Deadpool reference. That that was great. Did I make a Deadpool reference? Maximum effort. Come on. Yeah, that was unintentional. I'm sure that's disappointing. Well, it touched me, touched my heart. The wrapping up of it, I think, is the online dating game is here. It is messy, but so is dating, period. It's messy. And I think the best thing we can do is try to check our expectations against reality. It really do. And it's easier said than done. It's so easy to sit here behind a microphone and say, hey, you need to 
you know, take your expectations and compare them to reality. That's easy to say. It's, I think the only way to do it is to get out there, meet people. And like I said, for the tough stuff where you find it hard to talk to people is, I think just in your heart of hearts, you have to understand that you are quite valuable and you are unique. You're the only you that will ever, ever exist in this universe. And that's just the way it is. And so give yourself some credit and then respect your time, respect their time. I just really liked what Margaret said at the beginning is try to be honest, not harsh, you know, not critical. Don't be critical, but try to be very honest. Even get, if you have some good friends and preferably, you know, if you're a male interested in females, do you have some female friends to try to give you some honest feedback and vice versa? If you're female, primarily interested in males, do you have some male friends that will be very honest with you? Are you what somebody would want to date? And depending on the goal, right? And that's the other thing is, is your goal in dating to just have fun, which I think is very normal early on in your teens and 20s. But at some point, it's probably going to evolve into like, okay, I would like to settle down. I would like to go the next step if that next step is a family or at least someone that you know I could spend my time with and grow this other part of life, this other aspect of life, wherever that starts. And if that's the goal, then you have to put yourself in the best position of achieving that goal. And what does that mean? I just don't feel like I can stress it enough to start interacting with people and talking to them and learning social cues, learning to get rejected and not have it sink your ship that it's going to sting a little bit. I don't know that that would ever go away. And I don't know if you ever should go away, but it shouldn't ruin your day. Hopefully you enter into a relationship after some dating and then uh, you have to listen to the relationships episode with Margaret. We'll make a whole progression. That's the goal. So yeah, I'm not sure what we'll have to do after this. I guess we have to do the whole digital romance stuff. So that will be coming. Uh, maybe dating a language model, artificial intelligence language model. That could be part of digisexuality. Yeah. And then I guess to really wrap this up is uh, a public service announcement. Quit sending pics like that, you idiots. Just knock it off. Yeah, just don't. Don't be creepy. Yeah. I mean, come on. If they really want one, they'll ask. And chances are they're not going to ask. Probably not. At least do them the service of waiting for them to ask. Or meet in person and maybe things will progress to an even better place. That's a really good point. So on that, thank you to Margaret and Tracy for coming on. Thank you to Napa Auto Tech Training for sponsoring. Thank you so much to the Aftermarket Radio Network for making this possible. And the Aftermarket Radio Network involves Tracy. So she got thanked twice in one episode. That's not right. It's documented. <sighs> so anyways, thank you all for listening. Thank you so much for the feedback I've been getting and the show ideas. They're definitely in the works. Uh, if you have any comments, any ideas for the podcast, or you'd like to be on the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm pretty easy to find on social media, or you can email me at mattfonzlopodcast at gmail.com. And until next time... Take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.